0: Friends, the question for the day is based on the candles on the Advent wreath. We've worked our way around to it. And finally, to the fourth candle, the candle that reminds us and helps us illuminate love, which is a word that, that gets used in all kinds of places. and. I think it probably helps that we would just start by defining it. I mean, you could go for the Nat King Cole, uh, memorably spelling it out for us, or maybe you know this from Sinatra or Michael Buble. You can sing along with me. L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary e and this is when i sort of go <laughs> i never will adore love right because i don't know the words they're actually e is even more than anyone that you adore can love so there you go if you want to sing that for your family anyways what is love nat king cole told us it that way uh, i clearly do not have the voice of buble we'll let him do that but something could something man you hear this song and man it puts a smile on my face and if you think about it, if you've, if you've ever actually experienced the things that are talked about there, the, the experience of, of someone just in their look at you, that you feel loved, that, that in their exclusivity, that like, you know, it's, it's for you in particular. Man, there's something, there's something warm and special and secure in that. I mean, what is not to like? Uh, and others would tell you love is a language. Particularly, uh, Gary Chapman would say it's one of five languages that you use. Anybody heard of Gary Chapman and the five love languages? Very good. If you've not, you can Google it. Um, it's basically, there's uh, five ways that people tend to prefer to give or receive love, Acts of service, words of affirmation, gift giving, quality time, physical touch, those are the five languages. And the gold really in this is that you probably have one that you tend to, uh, one or two that you tend to prefer, and that's the ways that you prefer to receive love and the ways that you tend to give love. So, like, if you're a gift giver, you tend to give gifts. If you're a hugger, you tend to hug. Uh, The real gold in this is if you can figure out what the people around you uh, need to have, then even though you're a gift giver and you know that they're a hugger, you give them hugs because you know that actually communicates what you want to communicate rather than giving gifts that doesn't actually share the same message. I'll I'll leave you to that. Uh, Other ways of taking on a love in, in pre marriage counseling or in marriage counseling in general, we talk about love as a commitment, a decision to act in particular ways regardless of what you have received and regardless of what you do receive as a result of the loving actions that you do. We could keep going. There is no end to the songs, to the articles, to the approaches, to the books, to the applications that aid us in defining love. But I think that maybe what helps us define it most clearly for our purposes today is to identify its opposite. What is the opposite of love? Uh, turn to the person next to you and tell them the first thing that comes to your mind. Go. Opposite of love. All right. Who said anger? Okay. What else did you say? Not many hands. I I mean, that's what I thought. Anybody else? Anger? What, What else? Call them out. Opposite of love. Hate. Okay. Yep. Good ones, I think. Uh, but I think I discovered a better answer. It was from a, a devotion from a company called Axis. I'll let you look them up. Uh, they're great at uh, prompting good conversations. They suggest that the opposite of love is indifference. And I was won over by their logic. Because they say love and hate, they are both passionate and intentional, uh, both vigorously pursuing its goals. Though the goals are different, they are similarly passionate in a particular direction. Whereas one who is indifferent has lost his or her motivation to pursue anything at all or else never had that motivation in the first place so love is whether whether it comes in the way you look at me or the language you use or the ongoing commitments to actions that you take it is active it is present and it is purposeful i don't have a cute or catchy song like nat king cole but if I had to boil it down uh, to uh, something that's the opposite of indifference, I'd take my inspiration from an elementary school teacher that asserted that, that love for kids is spelled T I M. That it's time together. It's out of the screen. It's away from the, the things of, of other attention to other things around the house or work or whatever else. And it's just being present. And I don't think that's only for young kids. And I don't think it's only actually for kids. But I, I take an inspiration from him. And I'd say that the opposite of indifference, if we're going to define love, is With. With. Because that's how things were at creation. Genesis chapter 1, God created first man, first woman in the garden together with God. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God even in and of himself, uh, if he made them in his image and their image, they are three in one together. There is already a common unity together, a withness within the Godhead. And so if we are made in his image, that we would be with him and with others makes sense. And we were present with him, and he with us, with Adam and Eve, until Satan, the liar, in the form of a serpent at that day led them to question, has what God given you enough? Uh, Led them to think things like, uh, he's withholding from you when he said, you may eat from everything in the garden except the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was tempting them to, to, to think. He wanted them to believe God's being indifferent to you. He's putting himself at a distance from you. He's keeping things from you. Otherwise, he doesn't really care about you. Otherwise, he'd share with you this tree and its fruit as well. But it was a lie. He always and only lies. Yet they questioned his love for them, acted indifferent to his directive, looked and desired at what they should not have, and they ate. And the eyes of both of them were open. Genesis 3, starting at verse 7. And they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. See what I mean? That he was with them? I mean, literally walking around with them. And they hid from him. Among the trees of the garden, the Lord God called out, Where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. (laughs) And then God, I think probably with as much regret, as frustration, as love, described to them that now here's the result of your actions. Because of your indifference to my commands, you've now brought on curses on the world, and there, there will be pain and suffering. It'll happen in childbirth. It'll be within your relationships with with one another. It'll be in the getting of food and the living of your life. It'll be in the pain of death. And on top of that, Genesis 3.22, the Lord God said, the man now has become like one of us. This is a conversation within uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pre-incarnate Jesus, uh, before he became a baby Jesus. Uh, the, The man has now become like one of us. "'Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand "'and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. "'So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden "'to work the ground from which he had been taken.' And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim, uh, an angel with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Their eating undid their witness with God. But this undoing, this distance that's created, is not God's indifference, but his compassion verse 22. Let me read it for you again. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. God does not want them to live forever like this. In pain and in suffering, in broken relationships, and in dealing with death as a part of their everyday lives, he does not want that. He wants them to be with him again as they originally were, perfectly in his image, and thus with him. And thus here began the long and winding saga of God's plan to make this possible, that God could be with his people again. Now, it's worth noting that he could have chose indifference. He could have been like, y'all messed up. That was dumb. (laughs) And I'll be over here and you'll be on your own. But he didn't. Now, for those of you that have grown up hearing this, knowing this to be part of your story, adopted it to be a part of your story, this just seems so like, yeah, of course, God God made a way. But pause and consider it for a moment. He didn't have to. He didn't. He chose not to be indifferent, but instead to be with. I mean, here even, I'm going to go back earlier in Genesis 3, even when the very first words of that, uh, let me tell you what happens now. Like, you've brought sin into the world, and I'm going to tell you the results of it. When he, he initially talks to Satan in that, and he said these words, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I'll put strife between Satan and humankind, between your offspring and hers. And, and here, this part actually is good news. It doesn't sound like it at first, but it's good news. He's bringing good news gospel, even right along with the first curse. He says, he will crush your head. Satan, sorry, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Uh, let me interpret. He's saying, Satan, you snake. He, yeah, you're going to nip at their heels, and it is going to hurt them. Every single one of them, and all of humankind, it is going to hurt them. But one of their kids is going to crush your head and make an end to you, and it will not last, and you will not nip at their heels forever. Is it anger or love? (laughs) Maybe a little bit of both. God's frustration at their not listening. His love and saying there's going to be a way. He is committed to pursuing this purpose for them. He is the antithesis of indifference. And even while they wait for the one to come, He in all kinds of ways continues to be with them. He is the opposite of indifference, the, the antithesis of indifference. He's committed to helping and caring for and saving his people. It's committed to working out his plan to eventually return so that they could be with him. Let me just give you a few of these things. I mean, really, the whole of the Old Testament and quite honestly, all of scripture is a story of God pursuing a way to be with his people. I mean just hear a few words. He's he's with them through his words. Like consider Abraham. that he promises that he'll make a way for him to be a father of many nations from which this child will come. He speaks to Moses in a burning bush so that he could lead that nation and later speaks to Moses to give them 10 commandments to guide that nation. Through his word, he is with them. Through his provision, he is with them, offering a last-minute substitute sacrifice for Isaac after he commands the father of Isaac, Abraham, to uh, sacrifice his son at the very last minute with knife ready to plunge. God says, stop. There's a ram over here. Set your son to the side and sacrifice the ram instead of foreshadowing of how God would send one to save us from death. His son, Jesus Christ, he's with them through his provision. He's also with them in his leading Consider how God leads his people out of bondage, out of being in prison in Egypt. 400 years they were there, but he shows his power. He sends the plagues. He pushes back the oppression of the world seen in Pharaoh, forcing them to relent, overpowering them when they push back, proving that the one with us is the one most powerful. He parts the Red Sea and leads his people by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. I feel like I read those words and kind of just gloss past them, but consider for a moment a pillar of clouds from the ground all the way up to the sky, uh, a column of clouds. And so also, and even more amazing at night, a column of fire that would lead them during the day and and at night. A pillar of clouds that, that showed God's presence with them. A presence that, that he would dwell with them uh, in the center of their camp. So when the pillar stopped, they set up camp. And there was a center tent and one outside of it and then one outside of that. And in this, the innermost one is where God dwelled in that tent. Eventually, when he brings them into the promised land, he has them build a temple. And in the innermost of the temple is where the presence of God dwelled. his people became indifferent. And so much to an extent that his presence left even there. And the prophets were quiet another 400 years until until there was a woman named Mary who was pledged to be married to Joseph, who was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, who because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they would call him Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, God with us. He is the antithesis, the opposite of indifference, He himself came to be with us, to be the snake crusher, to be the one who would meet us in our indifference and make a way for us to be with him. He would do it even in the greatest amount of vulnerability. For vulnerability is a big part of being with someone, willing to be Exposed, willing to put yourself out there, willing to to venture being uncomfortable, for without vulnerability, there is no relationship. And he was willing to be completely vulnerable, to be made an embryo growing inside Mary, a virgin. Uh, The first man was made out of dust in a virgin world, and the God-man was formed in a virgin womb, literally like us, with us in every way, knowing life as we know it in each and every way, except our sinfulness. He perfectly embodied the image of God in us, All of God's speaking, all of his provision, all of his protection, all of his parting the Red Sea, and all of his words, his leading to the promised land, his pillar of fire and his pillar of cloud, all those ways of being with us all pointed ahead to this moment when the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became the perfect God-man to be with us again so that he could make a way for us to be with him forever. With matters. Uh, Pastor Larson preached a sermon probably five years ago, and there's a phrase from that that sits on a sticky note on the wall in my office. The one whom the devil seeks to destroy, first he isolates. From friends, from spouse, from children, from God's word, from the sacraments, from God, from Jesus himself, The burdens of life are heavy, but they become crushing when we're convinced that we carry them alone. This is you if you find yourself saying, no one understands me. No one really sees my pain. No one really cares, not cares enough to do anything about it, and it's never going to change, and I don't know how much longer I can bear it. Which leads to resentment, to anger, to fear. It leads to things like I feel hopeless and I just want to escape it and I can't bear it anymore. Satan has many lies, but I think these are some of his favorites. You're alone, no one cares, it's not going to change. God's love, his being with you, is not only leading you through these dark valleys, but bearing the burden of them with you. It's not only not abandoning you in your sin, but bearing with you the burden of the brokenness of this world, of which you are a victim as well. You are the receivers of the sins of other people. You bear the burden and the weight and the pain that comes from that the pain of of loneliness of being ignored by those that you'd expect to care for you most to that he's not indifferent as you endure the pain of maybe the anger of a friend or the outbursts of a boss or a child or a spouse or a parent he bears it with you. The pain of illness that lingers in your own body or the difficulty of ongoing caretaking and care for anothers he says, I see you and I know it and I carry it along with you. And he bared our burdens on the cross. He bared those burdens too. It's why he we're invited to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. It's why Jesus invited, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." it's not light because the weight of it is not heavy it is light because he bears it with you it doesn't make it nothing but his carrying it with you makes it bear a bull for now and until he returns again and he will take away all the shackles of all those pains and all the hurts of all the brokenness in our world, in our relationships. There is lots of ways we could define love. But as you light the final candle on your advent wreath at home, or as you light a candle, a single candle at home, if you will, let it be a reminder of the light of Christ in your own life. Illuminate illuminates in your mind not only all the ways that God has been with his people in ages past, but how he came to be with us, to be Emmanuel, God with us, his love with us. Let it remind you that in baptism, this spirit has been given to you, that you were given a candle at baptism to remind you of the presence of God with you, a light to illuminate your life, that remind you that at this table you come. And are served by a God who comes to be with you and comes to serve you, to bear your burdens with you. Let it illuminate the innumerable ways that he is the antithesis of indifference. Let that lead you, fill you. Lead so that you can really be with those with whom you'll gather in the days of, the weeks ahead, whether for a Christmas holiday or for the normal things of life, for in your presence, you too, like the prophets, like the pillar of fire at night, like the pillar of cloud during the day, you point to the one who is and will be with everyone forever. Be with them and look for opportunities to mention the one that is with you, who bears your burdens because he wants to bear theirs as well. For there is no greater love than God's. W-I-T-H. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds, for God is with you. Amen.